Hey everyone, welcome to Reggie Radio. I actually couldn't remember what Jordy's title was, so I have him on speakerphone right now, and he's going to tell you what we talked about during the episode and uh, what you should be looking forward to. Oh wow, I'm the old person and you can't remember what we talked about. (laughs) Oh, also, what's your title? That's why I called you in the first place. You said that, I was just going to say it, Okay. you interrupted me. Global... Race department manager at Fox. And, uh, man, what did we talk about? We talked about relationships with athletes and kind of how I got started and, like, my likes and dislikes and what I, you know, what I'm looking for in a girlfriend. <laughs> your uh, your match.com profile yeah. link. <laughs> uh okay all good so this is uh this is how you record an intro from the bedroom and without further ado here's jordy cortez (laughs) hope you guys like it all right jordy cortez welcome to reggie radio how are you I'm so good. I'm just I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, this is the biggest event you've ever done. It is. And it's sick because I'm sitting on my couch in a pile of freshly laundered clothes. Super comfy. <laughs> I think you still have all of my riding gear. From when I <laughs> it's gone from place to place. Like I put it in a plastic bag and then work shut down and then I put it in a box. I was like, oh, I'll mail this tomorrow. And I still haven't. <laughs> That's fine. I haven't been doing any riding, so. That's weird. <laughs> okay, so we're part one of the podcast is about origins. So if you can remember, we go back a bit. You were into uh, BMX in the 70s and MTV in the 90s. Did you have any success with any of those? No. <laughs> I've never had any success with anything sports related. <laughs> well, you raced some street motorcycles. like I did. Yeah, I did some road racing. I think I'm always, I'm actually pretty good for somebody that's just started. <laughs> And then I don't get any better, so I just go do something else. <laughs> Were you always into racing? No. I, as a kid, I think I was super quiet, and I didn't really – I didn't want to compete. I didn't like being around other people. Um, I think that's why I started riding BMX and freestyle stuff and ramp and park because it was just like you didn't have to compete. You could just go ride. Mm. Yeah. What what did you get up to when you were a kid? Was it mostly just riding bikes with friends and stuff like that? Yeah, pretty much. I didn't really get into moto stuff until I was like 19 or 20. And then did some like scramble stuff and XC racing and I sucked at it. (laughs) And then went road racing and was actually pretty decent. Like I liked it quite a bit. It It was a whole lot different. Yeah. Did you ever have the dream of like going pro? I don't think so. It it was it was never that important to me. I, I always like to have a little bit too much of a good time, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. That hasn't stopped some of the people we know, so Yeah, that's very true. So <laughs> how did you go from there to working as a fabricator? 
Man, everything about it is really random. So when I was road racing, I was running a motorcycle shop in the ghettoest part of East Oakland. <laughs> it was it was such a horrible job. Like in this is like end of the crack years. <laughs> so you'd have the sketchiest people and they'd, you know, they'd drop off motos, you'd do a bunch of work, then they'd go to jail. <laughs> you realize they're stolen <laughs> yeah then you know the cops would come take it back and then they'd get out of jail and come looking for you it was just like fuck i don't want to do this anymore oh wow and but when i was road racing i would go to this guy's fab shop and he'd fix little bits here and there and one day i was talking to him and said that we weren't running the shop anymore and i was gonna go find something else to do and he just offered to like teach me how to weld and i was like all right that's cool and then 12 years later i was still there <laughs> what kind of stuff were you doing we did a ton of different stuff which was awesome we did everything from like crazy architectural projects we built a bunch of the stuff at pack bell park and discovery museum in marin but we also built like race car chassis and fabbed up we do a bunch of seam welding on older, uh, like vintage class race cars, things like that. So oh, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, that's crazy. So what was that like to kind of get into something that you love? Did you know that you were going to continue with that for the rest of your life, do you think? I really thought I was. And I still really miss it at times. Um, but myself and the owner of the shop didn't always get along a lot of those super smart kind of artistic people are pretty tricky to get along with yeah i've noticed that with you <laughs> so i don't know things just kind of went sideways and i didn't go back and at that point I was kind of racing cyclocross. I was still slow, but I liked it. And uh, somebody from the specialized satellite program was like, oh, you should come be a mechanic for us. And of course, like they were cheap, so they didn't care that I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> I showed up with like a little plastic toolbox with all my tools stuffed in it. I looked like Marshy, basically, just a bag full of junk. Right, right. No idea what I was doing. What kind of races were you going to? Uh, it was all like domestic cyclocross at first, and then it quickly ramped up, and we started going to World Cups in Europe. That was like my first experience traveling, really. like I didn't travel much at all as a young kid. And now I'm in my late thirties, like traveling all over Europe, working these massive cyclocross races <laughs> and some of the smaller road tours, like domestic stuff, tour of Utah, things like that. It was, it was an amazing experience. Yeah. I feel like that would, you know, you kind of went from working with your boss that you were saying was a bit, you know, particular it's kind of the, probably the same thing with the the XC and cyclocross guys. Seems like yeah, absolutely. You you kind of learn how to deal with people if you want to 
do a good job. Yeah, what did you think the most important thing for a what was like the most important thing to be a good mechanic? I think it's probably the worst thing you could do for yourself, which is being able to internalize stress. Mm. You know, like you ever have any big moments where you like big mistakes, I guess I should say. I left my toolbox at home once, meaning like a flight to Europe with no tools. <laughs> what did you do? I just went and bagged and borrowed stuff and put together the basics. It just shows you like all these toolboxes are ridiculous. Right. The pair of needle nose pliers and some wire cutters and a multi-tool and you're fine. Yeah. 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 I remember uh, the first race I went to, I took a little, little bag of tools and I think it had a, a multi-tool and that's about it in it actually. Right. And you can do almost everything. That's true. I that's true. So how did you get from like total non-suspension work uh to Fox? I I guess I've always liked suspension. It's pretty fascinating and when you're racing motos you're kind of thinking about it a bit. Um especially on the street bikes cuz they're so finicky. Hmm. Um and the guy who hired me at Fox, Fitzy, who been he started the race department at Fox. He was at Rock Shocks forever before that. Like, he's a legend. We've known each other for a long time. And he was, you know, he'd always do the local races. I'd be there. He'd come to some of the bigger races and goof around. And I'd be there working with Specialized. And one day he was just like, hey, man, you should just come work for me. And it seemed like a really cool idea. And then... <laughs> I was actually working for Cannondale for like six months or show air Cannondale. It was like a satellite program of Cannondale. And it was one of the riders I had it specialized. And it was just the most ridiculous job ever. Why? I It's just a strange team. And the money was just flowing in. The guy, Scott Tedro, super cool guy and a real philanthropist and fan of the sport. but. The way it was run was just ridiculous, and it had nothing to do with him. Just, like, over the top? It's just weird. Like, absolutely zero skill, but they wanted to do it because they were getting paid. Right. Nobody knew how to run a program. They were all just doing their own thing. Yeah, yeah. And then the rider I was working with pretty much just packed up and was like, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> so, so I was just sitting at home, like... <laughs> collecting a paycheck and they finally got tired of that and fired me and at the same time Fitz was offering me this job so it worked out really well <laughs> so that's a it's kind of an interesting thing that you you came from a more practical background rather than a you know a theoretical academic background was yep. that did you ever feel I, I think sometimes getting into those type of roles, you can feel like a little bit of imposter syndrome, you know? Oh, for sure. How did you, uh, how did you gain the confidence for that? That's, I don't know. And I don't know that I have that confidence. Um, right. I still second guess myself all the time. And it's true. Like I work with really smart people, these engineers that are, they're building the suspension. I can make it work and I can deal with the riders, which is a lot of times the thing that 
they can't do. Mm. I think I'm smart enough to get the job done, but I'm not so smart that <laughs> I can't deal with people at the same time. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I do, I love it. Like, so I work hard. Right. And I put the time in to make sure that I can figure out what I'm doing. Did you, when you first came in, did you start, you know, in the, in the race shop rebuilding shocks and stuff like that? They, they put me in the service center for a week. Uh huh. And I was like, fuck this. I, I can't do this. <laughs> <laughs> this is ridiculous. So I just went back to the office and was like, Hey, I'll just figure this out on my own. All right. And did it still hampers me to this day. Like people come in with something kind of old or something slightly out of the race scene. And I don't know how to fix it. <laughs> right. I can figure it out, but it's going to take me all day. <laughs> it's like only work on the cutting edge stuff. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I feel bad about it sometimes, but other times I'm like, man, I really failed the right way here. Right. right. All this old crap. <laughs> so you also have kind of a, um, like a very like aspirational story. Like, so you start in the, in the service center and now what is your title there? So you took Fitzy's job. Yeah. So global race department manager. Right. That's crazy. It's really crazy. Like I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how I got here. I didn't plan any of this. I don't really plan much of anything. <laughs> At least life-wise, like, things just kind of happen. This, like, this actual thing where you go from really being on your own to managing six people is terrifying. Like, I'm responsible for these people. And, I mean, you've known me a long time. Like, that's scary. <laughs> yeah that is a bit uh i i when you told me that i did i just laughed <laughs> but it's i i i love it because who better than the person who knows the whole the whole thing you know i hope so has that been the the biggest change is just the management part of it are you i guess you're more removed than you were before yeah, well, you kind of have to remove yourself a little bit. And that's, I think that's been the hardest part is you're in a room with these five other people that you're, you're kind of on the same level, right? And all of a sudden, one of you is stuck on top of the rest of them. <laughs> right. And as much as I hate to say it, you have to change. You can't, you can't really behave in the same way. So I don't really like that part. Yeah. Do you miss being more involved in the the nitty gritty, like being a individual contributor type thing? No, because I still am for the most part. I think this has taken some of the junk work away, like the the, the just the day to day monotony of servicing things. And let me focus more on actually making stuff better, mm. which is what I really want to do. I mean, that's obviously a ton more managerial stuff and just paperwork and other meetings and stuff like that. But 
still overall i get to focus more on making things better mm, right yeah what's that like how do you spend a lot of time developing new products or is it trying to get the stuff that's working better yeah it's more that it's a pretty organic process to get new product design so you know we will or a few of us will have say or suggestions and the the good engineers always kind of bounce ideas around then uh my friend ariel will get it before i do he's like engineering side of what i do so he'll really work with the engineers to try to narrow it down once they get the the basic idea and the the basic layout done then ariel starts working from there and then once he's got it somewhere then i start getting product and start trying to get it to suit our race needs mm. yeah but i always think it's interesting too that that the top of the chain doesn't involve like the riders more so like it goes to engineering and then it goes to you know you and then it goes to everyone yeah. else <laughs> so one thing to think about with testing with riders is that anytime you give a rider something new and especially if it's better the last thing they want is to have that taken back <laughs> Right. So like if you have a rough proto, even if it's good and you can't race it yet because you can't put it out there because then people see it, then the market dives because people want to buy it, but they don't know when it's coming. There's so much politics involved in it. Right. So you give it to them and they like it. And then you're like, well, sorry, you can't race it. You got to go back to your old stuff. <laughs> so there's there's the mental side of, of that as well. Um, yeah. And not all riders are great testers <laughs> who do you think's the best <laughs> <laughs> who's the best and who's the worst uh the best i mean greg's amazing at feeling things it, he's not always right but he will he knows right you know like you move his cleat a millimeter be like oh my cleat's off <laughs> Or the lever, um, half a millimeter. But that probably gets a little too much with him. Aaron's also mm -hmm. really good and a little bit less emotional about it. Mm. Aaron's one of the best at working up to the last minute, and when things still aren't right, he shuts it off and just goes. Right, right. There's isn't he doesn't bring that like ah it's not exactly what I wanted up to the start gate it's like yeah nah the worst was Josh <laughs> really <laughs> he didn't give a shit <laughs> he could ride whatever it was it didn't matter oh, what would he say when you guys would go test nothing He'd just be like nah. <laughs> uh, I feel like Luca used to be more like that but now he's getting a little bit more picky he's he's changed completely and really not completely he's better like he's able to utilize us now mm. but he still likes to just get it pretty close and leave it alone which is super smart and he he just doesn't need it he doesn't need to fiddle with it all the time yeah yeah i i feel like there's a like so much of that fiddliness is just trying to relieve stress kind yeah, of thing totally it's nerves yeah i got this guy over here who might be able to fix 
my something. So I better right. go visit him. Totally, totally. Go, yeah. Go visit somebody else. <laughs> what kind of stuff are you dealing with on a typical day at the races? It depends. Uh, I mean, obviously, we do a ton of service for everybody. So that does take up the the majority of the time. Then we start getting down to actually tuning for the tracks. And I, I, I try to focus on the guys I know best and the guys that give us, obviously give us a chance to win. Mm. Uh, luckily our crew is getting pretty solid now and everybody's kind of picking up the, the tuning skills so I can kind of pass people off and they're still going to get good service. It's not like I'm stressing about helping everybody. Right. But you're already getting more than most people should, I think. Me? No, not you. Oh. You don't get anything. You don't ever ride. That's, that's true. That's true. Well, if I did, I would expect the best. What? Well, obviously. <laughs> so what about people's setups? Like, are is Aaron's, like, completely different? Because I feel like that's one of the things. Like, everyone's like, oh, my God, Aaron runs his stuff so stiff. And then this person runs like this. Like, how different is everyone's stuff? They're all pretty close. Yeah. Like, if you plotted it all out, there'd be a line through most of them. Mm, like weight right. to pressure to damping. It's it's not very uh, far out. Yeah, yeah. Gre- I think Greg's is the weirdest, maybe. It's not weird. It's just, like, incredibly stiff front end and super tall bars. I mean, he's, he's really tall, yeah? Long arms and legs. Right. And he probably runs the fastest rebound out of everybody, but he's so lanky that he's always kind of able to keep the bike under him. So he's going to benefit from that. Mm, Right. But most of the other guys, it's nothing crazy. Aaron doesn't run it that stiff. Yeah. I remember I was talking to um, Justin Fry like a long time ago. And um, he was saying that there was this interesting thing where the riders who, you know, a slower rider would end up running it a little bit softer. And then you would go up to like the thirties and they're running it harder because they're hitting all the bumps and going fast. And then yeah. like you, you get to the top guys and they're starting to run it slower because they're, or I mean like uh, softer because yeah. they're like skipping everything. Yeah. That's, that totally makes sense. And that's probably true. If you take a look through the field, the, the, but the top, yeah, the top 10 guys aren't riding anything out of the ordinary. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, if you're a decent rider, you could probably get on those bikes and go perfectly fine. Right, right. So why does everyone spend so much time on it? Like, is it just the little things? Like, once you get into that range, is it just like adjusting it for personal preference? I think on the one hand, bike suspension is still kind of in its infancy. It's just... I mean, obviously, it's gotten better and better as the years have gone on. But, I mean, you know that you can roll a moto out of the shop and go ride it. Mm -hmm. It's hard to do with a bike. I mean, you got to set air pressures. Then your rebound's going to be weird. There's always volume issues. You know, you got to put a volume spacer here, a volume spacer here. So, I think as suspension gets better and better, you might see less and less of that tweaking. Hmm. But right now, it's still pretty tweaky. (laughs) You kind of got to fuss with it a little bit to get it perfect. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
or do you think uh what do you think will be like the biggest innovation going forward i mean electronics are coming there's mm. there's no way around it and there really haven't been any massive changes in dampers or design or anything like that yeah people have tried a few times and it always ends up back to the tried and true so i know they've probably been saying it since man who like proflex or cannondale did oh electronic yeah stuff. They, uh, shimana or something somebody was i remember talking to somebody about this where like there was some some type of electronic stuff i don't know i could be way off maybe that was shifting they did that shimano airline stuff a long yeah time. airline that's what i was thinking of yeah okay. but like cannondale had electronically controlled they had like magnetic suspension fluid that could change viscosities basically what that's so cool and it's still being used but uh you know obviously bikes at the time just were not ready for that yeah yeah but that's wild it's coming what do you think about people who are like yeah like everything needs to be more moto or whatever like why why can't we just do what the motocross guys do it's just not the same. If you break down both like a, a bike fork and a moto fork, they're, while they might be functionally the same, the manufacturing process is so different. And it's so much harder on a bike fork mm. because weights are so much lighter. Tolerances are way tighter. You know, the, the friction you feel on a bike fork, there's 10 times that on a moto fork. Right. You can't feel it because spring rates are high and the motorcycle's heavy. So bike forks are just, bike suspension is just really hard to make. And you're, you're building it for a really wide variety of consumer too. So it's, it's just hard. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is crazy that, you know, you have a bike that's supposed to be good down B line and then also work down Valdezole. Somebody messaged me yesterday. I was like, hey, man. I want a bike to race slalom, XC, and enduro. <laughs> well, that's going to be hard. Right, right. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, speaking of uh, of people, <laughs> you started your, your Dialed series. What is, uh, what's the reaction been like for that? It's been, it's been amazing. Uh, that started off as such a fluke i think you know it kind of started with jobo and doing some video stuff with him and then fox really decided to run with it and i still cringe <laughs> i for one thing i can't i can hardly watch them like i hate watching myself or yeah, listening. Yeah. but the feedback i get from people has been so cool and people are stoked on it and now when there's no racing and we're still trying to do content and I'm like shooting dampers on the kitchen table with my iPhone <laughs> and dude, I was throwing shit across the room and kept erasing videos. And then I sent it to our video guy, Jake. And he's like, no, this is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, fuck. <laughs> but yeah, you're, like a, you're a celeb. Yeah. A celebrity, huh? Yeah, totally. Yeah, like how many Instagram questions do you get asking people to set up their bike? A lot. <laughs> and I, I don't, I don't really get that. Why? Why? Go on. I don't know. I mean, I just, I would never think. Trying to think of a, a relevant comparison, like, I would never 
find the Instagram account of an engineer at Ford <laughs> and be like, dude, my door is sticky. <laughs> right. How do I fix this? <laughs> right, right. I, you know, you put in, I got people just texting me like, man, my fork is shit. What do you think is wrong? <laughs> what do you say uh, i do try to be at least decent but sometimes they catch me at the wrong time and i do I, like i try to reply to everybody which is killing me yeah and if if these people like you know if you haven't even googled what i should do or called right. your service center right. or something and you're just oh you know what this dude works for fox i'm just gonna bother him on a sunday morning Totally. Yeah. I, I feel like, uh, that's one of the things that has to change as you start. Um, like if the person, if I'm going to put effort in, like you had to put effort into, like you said, like if you haven't Googled it or like you haven't thought of a question enough, like put enough effort into the question to be respectful, then that's exactly it. Like it's, it's about respect and, you know, if it's your problem, you should put some effort into it. Right. At least try to solve it first before yeah. you. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of ways to go about things before you Instagram message somebody. <laughs> okay. Let's do a little uh, getting dialed section then. And then you can just uh, tell people to come here. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> so if there's one thing that you could pick, what would make the biggest difference to, uh, to someone's riding suspension wise i think almost always it comes back to sag or spring rates like you have to know so the first time you set your bike up set sag and if you're ever struggling go back and check it again so what do you do what's the range in the back downhill in the 25 percent range and most enduro stuff in the 30 percent mm. why so I think one of the things that could be interesting too is like, why do you need SAG? <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty good question. And and SAG is kind of an age old thing. Mm -hmm. But in essence, if you set your suspension up so it had zero SAG, you really wouldn't have anything to fill those negatives in the ground. You know, the ground doesn't necessarily always go up. Sometimes it, there's a hole. Right. And you want that suspension to track that stuff smoothly. Right, right. So you need it to, like when you're riding around on flat ground and there's a hole, you need your suspension to uncompress so yep. that it can compress. Yeah. So Greg said that he runs 20%. Why Why is he run so little? He probably can't count. Right, right. I, well, actually, we know he can't count, but... <laughs> i i can uh confirm um <laughs> he might have been at 20 percent at some times um a lot of it is bike specific as well hmm. like there's static sag which is just you sitting on the bike and then there's dynamic sag which is kind of as you're moving where the bike is sitting in its travel hmm and some bikes sit far deeper in than they should. Some bikes sit higher than they should. And you kind of need to adjust your sag point that way. Greg is a bit of an outlier mm, as right. usual. But I think he's normally in the like 22 to 24% range. 
Okay. Is that something that you would adjust um, like track to track? Yeah, I guess you could. Uh, it it does somewhat depend on gradient. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So if it's really steep, you're transferring more weight to the front end, so you're going to want that front end to sit up a little higher. Hmm. If it's flat, you're transferring a bunch of weight to the back end, and you kind of want the back end to sit up higher. Right. So just to get the same feeling bike on a di- on a different gradient, you have right. to adjust some things. Uh, what about in the front? Because you don't really measure sag in the front. Eh, it's usually around fifteen to twenty percent for for an aggressive rider. Is that measured the same way? Like, can you just hop on the bike and then yeah, do your it's super easy because you got the o-ring on the fork it's just hop on give it some bounces reset it and measure it ah oh that's cool oh that's cool the more you just never measured it with you because i knew exactly where it should be oh yeah Uh uh-huh right sure 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 sure. (laughs) so (laughs) what about oh actually before i get to that question what is the best bike i don't know i'm not sure if i could answer that if i did Mm. politically Mm -hmm. Right. But what what about like uh theoretically? Uh honestly, I think it is a bit rider dependent as well. So like if you put Aaron on a common saw, I don't think he'd like it. Hmm. Mm. Why? Because he is extremely physical and likes to he rides it a lot like a BMX bike, like he's pumping every transition and he's strong enough to take that little bit of extra pounding you get from a slightly more or slightly less active suspension. Uh, uh-huh. So like that YT was perfect for him. The intense that his new one is going to be really good as well. Mm. But that Commonsol likes to just carry speed and charge. Yeah, I remember feeling Amari's bike after Linzahide, and it was so, like, stiff and fast. Yeah, and that's all because they really like to sit low. Huh. You know, a high single pivot bike with an idler. Right. Yeah, I've, like, never felt a bike with a faster rebound before. (laughs) I bet, and that's probably all to just keep it high in the travel. Huh. Oh, that's so crazy. So what is uh what's what about like the air versus coil? Is there one that's better or when you should run one or the other? I, I think you need to look at kinematics of your bike and obviously it depends on how heavy you are as, as well. What we're finding is somewhere above thirty percent overall progression lends itself pretty well to a coil. Mm, yeah it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to run a coil because some people just prefer air shocks yeah they they do things differently and yeah, I, I don't know i can't say one's better or worse yeah i um i was noticing that this year because what's the giant i think those guys are all on coils now well we were like i for the past when i first got on there 2017 and 18, we were on coil. And then last year, like halfway through the year, I switched to air. Oh. And it was like one million times better. Because like, you just couldn't, like you were saying, like you couldn't get uh, the, it would just, 
bottom like you there was no platform right. yeah so that's that just generally means that it doesn't have enough progression right and yeah, that's that... where air shocks are really handy right oh, yeah, I feel like it's a... nice you can do really small adjustments to the spring you know you can put five psi in if you want yeah right so you like you were saying if you wanted to go from you know 22 percent to 23 percent sag or whatever yeah easy done mm -hmm. uh, yeah that's a good heuristic to just be like if i need more progression i should maybe run an air shock yeah and if you're really big you're probably going to be on an air shock too right right <laughs> i feel like that's probably maybe that's why i like it better because uh i'm getting a little bad bod <laughs> dude i think we all are in this quarantine period <laughs> i was i was thinking about that today actually i was like dang i need to do some sit-ups or something uh, uh, nah just run it i know yeah well i was talking to luca because i was i was saying over this winter was the most i had kind of chilled out and uh, I was like, yeah, I got up to like 198 or whatever. And he's like, what were you doing? Why did you just go over the 200? Like, I'll never get to do that. <laughs> oh, shit. I think there's two types of people in this apocalypse. It's like either the ones that are taking it like, man, I'm at home. I'm going to get so fit. I'm going to train. And then there's the ones like us that are like, eh, I'm not going to do shit. Yeah, this is a this is a great opportunity to uh just just live. Every time I I took two days off from having any alcohol. But like <laughs> people are just like, what are you doing? Why? Right, I know. <laughs> That's the way I think. I'm just like I mean I could. I mean there's totally I totally could. But I mean I totally couldn't either, you know? Exactly. Dude, I did Cookie Cruise two days ago too. Oh, the yeah. For for people who don't know, they are uh, delivery cookies that are just the best ever. Oh man, and ice cream. Right. It's such trouble. <laughs> well, yeah. Speaking of um, of all things that that we were just talking about, how many hangovers has Greg been responsible for? <sighs> <laughs> there's there's no way to put a number on those <laughs> not just in like sheer quantity of the hangovers but of the like the misery involved i know i feel like yeah uh, yeah, yeah, yeah it's like one more greg oh just one more let's just go to this place <laughs> one more <laughs> fuck you you know it's not one more i remember we were in uh where was that val de sole and i I was like, came in just last year and met up with, met up with them. And next thing I know, it's only the bartender there and Greg and like some other people. And you just hear Greg every now and then six more, six yeah. more. <laughs> Eight more. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. There's three people here. I know. I know. Oh my god. So and then good. he wakes I, up and he's fine. I know, that's the problem. And like three days later I'll still be hungover. Right. Yeah, totally. Ugh. It's too much. Yeah, speaking of, you've also been uh doing some cocktail stuff on your Instagram. Yeah, I got bored. That'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm gonna try to do Luca's this Friday. Luca and Walker. Uh, oh, that's so good. What would you do if it was a Jordy Cortez version? I don't know. I don't really like cocktails. Ah, uh, that's I weird. Just like, I just like whiskey. <laughs> that's the worst. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> Thinking of having one right now. Oh God. I know. I are you uh are you missing the World Cup at the moment? I do. I really miss it. And I didn't, I don't, I never wanted to be that guy who's like, oh man, I've been home for a couple months. I just, I really just want to get going. Right. Cause I think that's super weird. Like, I love home and I want to be home, but I also really miss the scene and, and my friends and, and just this, I, the excitement of, of racing, like, standing at the finish line and watching people come down there's nothing like that i know i know have you ever like been like oh i wish i could be out there no (laughs) (laughs) i don't want any part of that start house Uh, just sitting around and then sprinting your balls off for i don't know 50 meters and then you can't breathe and you got to make decisions and You've seen me ride. I'm like I'm barely functional when Whoa. I'm breathing perfectly well. If if I feel like it says something that the last couple of times I've ridden with you, I've had like the biggest crashes in my life. <laughs> that was all you. <laughs> I wasn't involved in any no, way. I was following you and you flew off the track and so I went and I was getting too excited and, and I like <laughs> didn't know the trail. So I <laughs> Was going way too fast. Had to take a dive. Went into a ravine. <laughs> that was amazing. God, was that was that with Luca and Walker too? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Loris. Yeah. Was it that day? Yeah, it was with Jobo, Luca, Walker, Loris. Yep. That yep. was good. That was a fun day. Yeah, that was a good day. Yeah, Santa Cruz is great riding. Yeah, don't come here. Not you, right. but like just in general. Speaking of, yeah, I just was talking to some people yesterday that said they were moving there. So, <laughs> The people that live here are fine. It's all the people that drive from over the hill. I guess so. You got, you got all the tech people coming in. Yeah. It's so bad, like in the little main riding spot. It's just right. it's mayhem. I feel like Strava, somebody needs to do something. <laughs> Can, can't you do something? You know computers. Yeah, maybe I'll uh, hack, uh it. hack in. I heard they're getting like an unbelievable amount of new users every month or whatever. Oh, I believe it. Maybe we should sign up for that Zwift thing and just sit at home. Ironically, I've gotten a couple of inquiries about that and I've uh, either, I, I just brushed them under the rug. Oh yeah, that sounds horrible. <laughs> oh my God. So, uh, speaking of um, Santa Cruz, etc., yeah. what do you think about going to enduro races to test? Because those guys do like a lot of testing and uh, a lot of bike setup and stuff like that, but it's much different. It's way different because enduro is like going out for an all-day trail ride. So you might start out fresh and you might start out on one type of trail, but seven hours later when you're blown to pieces and then you're riding a completely different trail it's really tricky to set up an enduro bike and i think the athlete is a far bigger piece of that because Mm. they have to they have to realize 
what the day is going to be like and how this bike's going to perform when they feel like shit. Mm. Right. So if you set up an enduro bike on a downhill track and you set it up to go fast, when you go ride that thing at hour seven of some hellish descent in the Pyrenees, it's going to feel terrible. Right. It's all moderation, right? Like you can't go a hundred percent. You got to do this. You got to do that. So you really, the rider really needs to be cognizant of what they're setting up for. Right. Right. Yeah. Do people try to change suspension setup from like stage to stage? I I bet it happens a little bit, but for the most part, I got our guys are leaving things alone. Why is that? Cause like, it seems like if you had like a super long or flat stage, like something. Maybe if there's something really, really out of the ordinary, you'd make a couple changes. But I think for the most part, they want to put that stuff out of their heads. And making a change without really knowing how it's going to affect you is, is probably a little bit suspect. Uh, right, right. Without, you know, you just decide to do this and give it a try. It's probably better to just ride what you have right ride what you know yeah Yeah, i always thought that there was a kind of two different schools of thought where you set up a bike and you learn how the bike is going to react to any type of terrain or you set up the bike for each type of terrain so that it can perform best like in each situation you know people like luca or like you know bernard's kind of like that where they just set it up and they're like i know my bike so well that maybe it's going to kick a little bit off this bump more than it would if it was set up right, but I know exactly how it's going to kick. Yeah, there's a ton of truth to that. And I think basically the whole pivot team is that way. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I think Eddie would change something just to spite me. (laughs) I think you should do this. Well, I'm going to do this. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, what are the Enduro guys like? Are any of them super picky? Yeah. Yeah, quite a few of them are picky. Um, Jesse and Remy are both pretty picky. Not not in a bad way, but they know what they want. Mm-hmm. And they're both pretty good with feedback, too. Yeah. Richie, too. Um, he fiddles with shit. I know it. <laughs> I can see. Well, I went testing with you guys, and I would be, we, would, we would do something, and I was just kind of tagging along. And, uh, you know, you guys would set something up and then I'd see him on the trail, like turning some knobs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then you'd be like, how was that? Oh, I don't know. I stopped and changed this. Right. Damn it. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. What's the, uh, what's it, what's the difference between like a, a Loris coming into the pits and like a, you know, Martin Mays or something. Martin's pretty sharp actually. Loris. You never know if he needs a hug or a chocolate bar or if something's wrong with his bike or if he just wants to talk about girls. <laughs> he's he's good with feedback when his head's in the right place. Yeah. Yeah, I can totally I can totally see that. Do you ever do that thing where you like try to trick people and like say like, "Oh yeah, I changed this and this and and you actually didn't do anything?" Nah, I don't like doing that. Yeah. I don't I'd like rather just get them used to me saying no. Right. Like, yeah, no. right. That's a much more mature thing. I'm super mature. Right. Yeah. Right. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> what about um 
the evac scene are you about to uh you know head on to that thing no yeah no man i don't know i i I have no ill will towards e-bikes i don't i don't buy 90 percent of the arguments people use for them i think they're cool as tools for like trail builders or search and rescue guys or whatever but as far as the average guy going out and buying an e-bike to go trail ride i'm i personally am just not super into it yeah yeah but i'm probably the minority yeah totally because i'm super into it i figured you would be yeah well i i was fit for like maybe a year and a half and now i'm not so i realized that like i can i i feel like this is how like fit people feel you know what i mean like i remember like when i was when i was feeling good i could go out and ride and i would just like do laps and laps and like now i go on my e-bike and i do laps and laps and yeah i think my viewpoint is a bit snobby like you should you should earn your turns right yeah i'm in a different place too like we don't have a lot of room yeah that's true well plus like you're the in santa cruz it's not it's like manageable yeah yeah absolutely it's not some horrible like 15 percent grade pavement climb yeah right everything's kind of nice and then you got some dude from over the hill on his e-bike that's used to be able to do one lap and now he's doing seven on your illegal trails yeah right and then gonna go slam back some ipas in the parking lot (laughs) he's got it in his water bottle (laughs) put his e-bike back in his raptor and go back to wherever yeah those aren't the guys out here helping keep the trails going or being smart about not dropping onto the road when there's rangers down there or whatever right yeah totally it's just one more tool to get people that aren't ready to be out there out there yeah yeah right you're different you're skilled you're just lazy yeah that's true i mean mean, lazy, not lazy lazy (laughs) oh i appreciate that oh that's that's you you do twice as much work as i do (laughs) probably more oh god speaking of um I keep saying that. Um, I was just thinking about the like the girls in downhill. Tawny, I was talking to her about her setup. And then like you have new people like Nina. You I feel like you got to work with a bunch of different people last year. Yeah, it was cool. You got Maureen, Nina, Cam, Tawny. Rachel wasn't really there. Mm-hmm. But I I love it what's uh what's rachel like was she i feel like geez yeah go on (laughs) uh rachel's awesome like i really i like her they're they're just a very insular program like they really try to do everything themselves Mm. and sometimes that's fine but sometimes it ends up biting you yeah yeah it's it's good to have an outside perspective yeah yeah i i do notice that like now that you say that i hardly ever see them go into the the fox tent no it doesn't happen often yeah huh but they do go test with you guys yeah 
Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. We tested with G and Charlie in Portugal last month or whatever month it was. Did you have to do, um, do you ever have to like go to people's pits to like to Nina or, or somebody like that who doesn't yeah. know? I do. Um, it's hard though, because as soon as I step out, somebody else comes in. Yeah. Yeah. So it's tricky. Normally it's Greg again. Right. right. Hey, hey, you come over. <laughs> I was thinking we could, uh, change, change shocks. And then you get there and he's like having a back rub while he's trying to tell you about what was going on. <laughs> yeah, cool, man. We could just do a whole podcast talking shit about Greg. I know, I know, I know. I I have I had a, a decent amount of Greg questions. I skipped a few. <laughs> <laughs> but I do I do have some listener questions for you. Cool. Um so uh P and Y Bergski, do you know who that is? Oh yeah, totally. Okay. No. Okay. 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 Cool. Um, he says, "When would you need high speed compression if you have a very progressive frame?" And I was thinking maybe you could explain high speed high speed compression. High speed compression. So high speed compression again doesn't have anything to do with how fast you're going. It only has to do with how fast the shock is moving. So if you hit something and the shock moves really quickly, then you're probably using the high speed compression low speed compression is the slower hits and the basic attitude of the bike like shifting your weight or leaning back or whatever that's always low speed compression uh a progressive bike could in theory use less high speed damping mm -hmm. because the kinematics and the spring are holding it up and right. when you add damping a lot of people like to say, oh, I'd, I'd like it a little more supple here and then a little bit firmer here. And that's not what damping does. Damping is from the very beginning to the very end. It it doesn't know where the shock is. It only knows that the shock's moving. Right. Yeah. Like, um, you know, it's it's speed sensitive and not position sensitive. Exactly. Yeah. So you could uh, you could be using high speed compression in the first like quarter inch of the travel. Totally. And you probably are. And that's one of the things where you always have to balance spring versus damping. Mm -hmm. Damping works always. Spring gets stiffer as it goes in. Right. Okay. I got another one for you. Okay. Uh, Rob. <laughs> Rob Smith says, uh, <laughs> but it's three O's. So. <laughs> Um, uh, speaking of also, uh, Rob Rothscop's birthday, old Cobra. I know, neck. I texted him this morning. <laughs> old Cobra neck. Um, okay. <laughs> Who's the most frustrating to work with? Oh. Uh, man, that's hard. I mean, I think you mean as far as like tuning or the overall... Hmm. You could answer both. Yeah. Tuning, it's got to be Greg. And I know like we're beating a dead horse, but <laughs> somewhere between Greg and Loris is, is the hard part. Yeah. Uh, Tawny's pretty tricky too, though. In what way? Like, she used to hate to come talk until it was the 11th hour and she was having a meltdown. 
so again she's like so independent like wants to figure it all out herself and then realizes that's not going to happen and she's got one practice run left and then racing (laughs) right and that i don't know that's kind of stressful for me too but in a way it's better because you only get one shot (laughs) right (laughs) like well (laughs) this better be it okay here we go (laughs) and then smitty 120 says who comes back from the 90s to do your mohawk every morning bro <laughs> they didn't have fohawk in the 90s did they, I, they real mohawks when was that i think late 90s was like oh no that was like spiked hair maybe yeah honestly i sleep on my side and i roll around a lot mm. and i just generally don't wash my hair so <laughs> some days it looks all right. Actually, I, I think on the dial, once we start shooting dialed, I started getting haircuts and like oh, wow. paying a little bit of attention. That didn't happen to me when I started doing the. <laughs> like, yeah, uh, but you're way better off than I am already. Like, no, I'm, no. I'm old, fat, white guy. <laughs> Silver Losing <pot>. his hair. <laughs> you're young, athletic. Um, no, I'm, I'm trying to become more like you. <laughs> Uh, at MTB says, how old are you? <laughs> this is why, I don't know, this goes around every day. I'm 48, and I'm going to be 49 on the 28th of this month. See, you're doing great. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, looking good, you know, etc. Yeah, looking good, feeling good, doing good. Yeah, that's true. Well, um, on that note, that's all we've got. Whoa, that was cool. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Hey, thank you. Um, I will talk to you uh, soon. Okay. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Jordy. Bye. <laughs>
Okay. Well, I, I'm. We're we're rambling. Okay. Um. Uh. Take us out. Bye. Oh. Okay. Bye. Nice little bonus. Um. Reggie Radio is produced by Brianna McShane. Special thanks to Alex Prieto for doing some audio work for us, and we will see you next week.